Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bunker Daily, the little concert aria brother to Wednesday's full opera seria. I am Alex Andreu and I'm talking to you from my sixth month stranded in Mykonos, Greece, where another flight has been cancelled and then another and then another, meaning I am now attempting to come back to London tomorrow via Athens and Brussels using every mode of transport known to man, including donkey, over five days. a very special Bunker Daily, firstly because it tackles a subject incredibly close to my heart, the impact of the pandemic on the opera world. Secondly, because I have with me not one, not two, but three guests. First up is Michael Moody, co-founder and chief operations officer of the glorious Grange Festival near Winchester. Hello, Michael. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm all right, <laughs> bearing up just about. Um, how has the pandemic affected you personally? Are you holed up somewhere glamorous? or So um, for myself and, and the Grange Festival, we were introduced to COVID-19 very early on um, when somebody brought it into the office. We all managed to close down the office and uh, self-isolate and all proved negative. So when you say early, when was that? Oh, gosh, now you're asking. Um, <laughs> it was probably three weeks before lockdown. Oh, blimey, that is early. So beginning of March. So I self-isolated. Oh, and that was very strange. Luckily, my house is big enough that I can self-isolate in um, quite a nice attic. Um, uh, but it was strange being in the house with the family and, uh, yeah, having no contact. So somebody would tap on the door and walk away and I'd open it and the food was there. <laughs> um, God. And I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. But that's just every <laughs> week for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have uh, uh, conductor John Andrews. Uh, John is the principal guest conductor of the National Symphony Orchestra, among many, many orchestras he works with. He is a regular with the English Touring Opera, the Grange Festival, and Opera Holland Park, and I worked with him um, for the first time last year. Hello, John. Hello, Alex. It's going to be very <laughs> nice to see you back on our shores sometime, hopefully this month. Yes, um, how have things been for you? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to ask, have you been keeping busy, but have you been keeping busy? Um, well, it, I think my experience is probably similar to a lot of freelance artists, you know, working with different companies that through March, things kind of fell a bit like an Agatha Christie novel, one by one, concerts would drop. Uh, or be postponed. Um, bigger and bigger things would would fall, um, and eventually reach the point now where nothing remains this side of September. Um, 
So I am here at home in London. I'm exceptionally lucky that my two children are old enough to have been able to get on with remote schooling incredibly well and independently and um, with good humour. So from that point of view, uh, I've just been able to turn my life into a slightly demented version of a 50s housewife, looking after them, cooking them ever more (laughs) elaborate (laughs) meals. um, Can can I ask you, was it you that was knocking on Michael's door and leaving his meal house? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, it could easily have been. Um, it's so it, for me. I I don't know if you've seen. I have produced a, a little online history of opera, and I've that's been keeping me sane. And also the book that I'd intended to write in my retirement. Um, I, I think retirement is looking ever closer. So I've started <laughs> on that. I mean, I, yeah. So that that's 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 kept me sane. But otherwise, uh, I've very much a kind of retreat into family life. And and last but by no means least is Australian lyric um, with designs on the Spinto repertoire. I think very <laughs> <laughs> <Really> good. It's <laughs> a good a part of the uh, Royal Opera House's uh, Yetta Parker Young Artist Program, and winner of many many international singing competitions, including most recently the Grange Festival International Singing Competition. We have with us Kiandra Howard. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? Hi. I'm all right. (laughs) Um, Last time I worked with you, I basically threatened you with death every night on stage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this is not an unfamiliar situation for us. The the stakes are usually high, aren't they? (laughs) They are. They very much are. How how have you been doing? I I know you've been, uh, I've been watching your daily, um, well, not daily, but regular uh, YouTube videos. Um, and uh, they, they've they kept me uh, sane, as I'm sure they've kept you sane. Um, is work just disappearing off a cliff or are bookings beginning to perk up again for later in the year and next year? I mean, like John said, so many of us have freelance artists are facing the reality of, I mean, work that has been long planned in our calendars for years in advance is being cancelled and disappearing. I personally was um, in the final dress rehearsal, actually, of a concert with the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra in Poole when we were told that we had to go home and we weren't able to open the Mm -hmm. performance. It was a concert performance of Electra with the orchestra. And, I mean, that was there there must have been... There must have been some relief that was cancelled. Right? <laughs> I think definitely for the main players. I was just one of the maids. So for me, it wasn't too vocally taxing. But I can imagine for a Catherine Foster who was singing Electra, she might have been a little glad. It's, it's quite a big thing. <laughs> I apologise to Richard Strauss and his fans. Um, I, I am more a bel canto French repertoire um, <laughs> Boy. Um, now, Kiandra, has it been very strange for you being isolated so far away from your family in Australia, knowing that really they're having a much better time of it there? Yes, I mean, that's one thing that's been really difficult. I mean, I've been based in London for about 10 years now, all in all. 
but I've been isolated. My flatmate has unfortunately not been here. So I've been in the house alone for it's 15 weeks now and counting. Um, also seeing in Australia the fact that they were able to lock down and control the situation much better than sort of Europe, the UK and and the States have done. It's 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 been difficult, but I hold strong hope that we can continue to sort of come up with these new online initiatives and recordings going forward just to keep ourselves busy. So that's, yeah, I think we're all holding out hope. <laughs> I, I, sh- I should say that I have been back into the recording studio about three weeks ago. So if we're looking for rays of hope, then that is certainly a, a beacon. Amazing. Yes. So um, let's get into it, shall we? Um, John, what has tended to happen with bookings? Are we talking mainly postponements or are we talking stuff just being scrapped, cancelled until further notice? Um, In a way, I wish we were talking about one or the other. Um, The reality is that every... Uh, every possible variation is happening somewhere. Every company has had to take their own decisions about this, depending on you know how far they've already contracted people in opera, whether sets have been built. Um, but the effect of that is that um, the the diary has become incredibly chaotic, even where it survives. So mm. some some companies are postponing six months or uh, some are postponing a whole year. Some are holding to future bookings and simply cancelling what's happening now. So we're we're in a stage now where everything is terribly fluid. I think it's one of the most difficult aspects of this that uh, different bits of the diary are now moving about at different speeds. I don't know if uh, Keandra's experienced it, but I've, I'm now in the position where uh, two of my engagements for next year have both been moved into 2022 and now clash. So mm. forcing me to, to cancel one of them. And that's happened you know, several singers that I was due to be working with. Mm. And I think it's probably the most difficult and practically and psychologically, this inability to see where this is going. I think yeah. if you if you'd said to me, uh, at the new year, okay, your world is going to end between March and December. Uh, the whole thing is going into hibernation. But in January 2021, things will start again. I, you know, I wouldn't have welcomed that, but there would have been something in in the in being able to prepare for it mentally and to plan for it. It's the hope that kills you. It is absolutely. <laughs> it is absolutely the hope. My my first engagement's back in September. The first three major things are recordings. So I live in hope that even if audiences aren't allowed to assemble, that those might happen. But but as you say, it it's it's the hope that keeps receding ever further into the distance that makes yeah. this a really difficult situation. And and then as Terry Pratchett used to write, you realise that the light at the end of the tunnel is in fact a flamethrower. Um, <laughs> Michael, I know you tend to plan production sometimes quite a few years ahead in order to book the people that you want to have direct something or sing in something or conduct something. Um, do you just try to push everything from the festival 
a year into the future and hope you can rebook everyone? Or do you write off this season and continue with what was your plan in 2021, as if 2020 basically had never existed? Uh, I was going to say that's a really good question. It's a really difficult question. So, so the, 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 the best thing for uh, the company is to um, close up 2020 as best you can. You have to keep putting everything in place in case it was going to happen. So... Yeah. In, in on, on the timeline of how you plan a festival, all the sets are finished. Um, but what that's were all, they the sets for? The, the, for the three operas. Um, yes, yeah, I, I'm saying which ones, which ones. And uh, you're trying to get me to remember what I actually put on. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, that, that's the most difficult question to ask a, uh, a producer. I do actually remember. I'm joking. So the first <laughs> one that did come in was um, uh, Chenarentula. Okay, um, all right. And, uh, and quite a big set because it's the big show of this season. It's the one that everybody comes to. It'll sell more tickets than anything else. Yeah. And then the other one that came into the building was Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, okay. So, yeah, th- th- there's a lot of money spent in order to make these happen. And um, the, the best case scenario would be um, that you can lift it from 2020 to 21. Anyway, after after many months, we we got lucky. So we have been able to reorganise everything, and we're talking about hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah. But you you've largely be be able to to stick to the plan. Has your insurance company played ball? The, the, the thing is that all freelance contracts um, have something in them called force majeure. Yeah. And uh, and of course the same thing is for with, with the insurance companies. So you yeah, like 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 the artists, there was nothing to comp- to claim. Yeah, I'm going to um, uh, I'm going to lobby I think for the the that clause in all opera contracts from here on to be renamed. La Forza del Destino close. Kiandra. Yes. Um, difficult question, difficult issue. For a for an artist at your stage of the career, you know, you're you're just starting to be noticed widely. You're just getting big international bookings coming in. Mm-hmm. You're winning competitions. Can anything compensate for that loss of momentum? Um, Or is it actually because it's happening to everyone that it's all gone on pause? Um, I think very much out of thinking about questions and issues that are facing freelance performers, that's probably the most difficult and one that's affected the widest spread community of people. I mean, personally, for me, as you said, I was very lucky and fortunate that last season I entered and won quite a number of uh, high-profile competitions, both in the UK and also in Australia. And I had quite a number of uh, very exciting role debuts and house debuts coming up, some of which have already been cancelled or postponed into the indefinite future sometime. So did you do La Rondine? No, by the way, I didn't. That that's that's one. Oh. That, uh, 
No, that was supposed to happen in that is, March, April. That so is so. That is so your part. It's definitely that one. Is outrageous. It's a loss I've felt enormously because it's a role that's so dear to my heart and my first time in Cagliari in Italy as well. I was so looking forward to the weather, amongst other things. <laughs> but, um, no, they've they've decided to postpone that. But when and if it will happen, we don't know yet. But I guess. Uh, it's really sad because the loss of momentum for so many artists at my stage and even higher up the chain, it's just forced us back to square one. And I don't know how to rebuild. I mean, it's all well and good to have all of this time to ourselves to reflect, to practice, to learn new roles, to develop personally as artists. But without that momentum, I wonder if within years it will actually get back to the point that I was at or whether it's mm. something that we can never we can never get back to that point again i just it's it's really devastating just to add to that and i don't want to be to add further doom and gloom but i think there's also uh, the question of whether the industry is as big as it was when we come back mm. so for uh, artists who were who were beginning to make a serious name for themselves whether the opportunities are the same when we get back. I think is a is a very open question, and um, for all that, I, I, I am deeply grateful for the companies that are making things available digitally. Mm. But but by necessity, those are uh, showcasing the talents of quite well established singers yes. because by definition they've come from big, well resourced companies who've been able to to do it. So. Uh, you know, I think there's a there's a kind of double hit for younger singers yeah. in this. I mean, that was also, I completely agree with you, John, and also a point I was looking at, um, talking about as well, is just that even now I sort of see it uh, within European countries who've already started opening up and doing live dis- socially distanced performances or concerts. It's the fact that the big top echelon high profile names within the opera community who have had contracts consistently in the big houses like um, the Metropolitan Opera, the Royal Opera House, with these houses not being able to open at least until potentially Christmas, if not into 2021. I mean, it then sort of goes to say, well, potentially they're going to be able to come and swoop in and take the work in smaller A, B and C houses within the European Mm. system that younger singers like myself that's how we earn our bread and butter and we get our experience so it's really scary time well if i can if i can offer a ray of hope it may work it may work the other way in that you know you may find that there's a whole bunch of lyric sopranos let us say to be kind in their mid-50s who uh, come to realize that perhaps they should be moving on repertoire wise um uh, that may open up a load of Manons and Mimis uh, for uh, for younger people like you to be doing. I very um, much hope so. <laughs> 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 uh, sorry to sound selfish. <laughs> very briefly, each of you, how have you found the various financial support schemes? Do they apply? Are they helpful? Are they generous? Can they sustain you? Or are basically the arts and the people who work in them, always some sort of afterthought. Uh, let's start with Michael. Um, well, I suppose we, we are lucky in that the, the, the Grange Festival, we don't depend on and, and, and do not receive, and nor were they 
ever likely give us any money from government support. It, it, it's, it's purely from individuals. Um, and they have been extraordinarily generous, um, which allows us to, to, to function. Um, but, we, we, you know, we're, we're an organisation out of season of 11 people. Yeah. Um, and we depend on, on, on all, all the, 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 the people that make up a festival who are freelancing. And I just hear very bad stories. It's, yeah, it's, so you so basically you can you can only furlough a tiny proportion of the people that you regularly work with. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. How about you, Kendra? Have you been able to avail yourself of this benefit tourism that one hears so much about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's been difficult for me because I. I am an Australian citizen. I don't yet have um, citizenship in Britain. I'm here on a visa. So I'm not actually eligible for any government funds apart from the SICE grant, the Self-Employment Income Support Scheme, which benefited mm. me. But again, it's not something that can sustain me for six months or beyond. So um, it's very difficult. I know there are organisations like Help Musicians UK. I was uh, unfortunately too late with the deadline to apply for that. And uh, I've not been able to be eligible to apply for any other schemes, uh, UK-based. But there are smaller organisations that support Australia and New Zealand uh, performers in the UK, um, namely the Tate Memorial Trust, who, which I am a, a committee member and a recipient of their awards. Due to the generous support of private patrons, um, they've mm. been able to create a relief fund for artists who are really struggling with rent and things in the small term in the UK. So it's these smaller individual charities and organisations that are fiercely trying to fundraise to help support um, young performers mm. and conductors, repetitors and directors in the industry, which is so amazing. And, and thank you all so much for doing that. But it's a real shame to see the government have sort of left it. And we're all waiting on tender hooks for this, the announcement of the package that will give will be given to the arts so yeah yeah let's hope let's hope it is generous because i have to tell you one of the more positive aspects of this lockdown um for me has been to hear the things people want to do when lockdown ends and how often they are go to the theater again go to a museum go to the opera mm. listen to live music mm. those are the yeah. things people are looking forward to mm. when lockdown ends yeah. um how about you john uh, have you been able to uh, get some help i've actually uh, been in the situation thus far i've been treated very very generously by all the companies that i was working with and so i'm not yet in that position um and just to pick up on what you were saying there i think the the important thing is yes it's it, we have to keep people um alive and supported now but it is going to be of vital importance that the companies are kept mm -hmm. supported because all of this will be for nothing if um our major companies and our middle-sized companies have have crumbled which they could easily do mm. the the sense that that some of our large subsidized houses could hit bankruptcy in the autumn um is very real and so whilst we absolutely need uh, help for musicians and freelancers generally at the moment 
absolutely vital is that there be an industry for them to return to. And I think that causes me uh, more loss of sleep than my personal Mm. situation. Mm. Michael, on that point, I was thinking actually that it's those middle-sized companies that will be in trouble, just instinctively from an economics point of view. It seems to me that the really big companies will survive because they will have proper, um, you know, defences built into their balance sheet. And it seems to me also that smaller uh, festivals like yours will actually be in a good position to be innovative and flexible and agile going forward, you know, maybe do things outdoors. Um, Opera is always sort of unprofitable anyway, and it relies on people who really love it to Mm. go above and beyond to support it. Um, What's your take on that? The large organisations... uh, in this situation, I I I think it's it, it's becoming obvious are going to fail first. Oh really? I mean, all their income disappears. So you know they have huge auditoriums. You know the National Theatre has has three auditoriums. E and O Royal Opera House depend on many thousands of people coming each week, and they're not. Yeah. And that's a yeah. huge amount of money. And even with furloughing, you still have to pay all the insurance, you still have to pay all your overheads. And mm. um, I fear, I mean, just an example, the, the, our orchestra is the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra. And Keandra was saying that they had to close down um, for Electra. And they, they went immediately into furloughing. And, you know, they're very well managed, they're a very well run company. They will survive. But what they're struggling with at the moment is their offices um are in pool uh lighthouse it's a, a, a concert hall and the concert hall is running out of money and in the next few weeks Bournemouth symphony might get a phone call to say i'm really sorry but we're gone bankrupt and mm-hmm. you don't have an office anymore but um, if something like that goes under won't there in six months time spring up a Dorset <laughs> Symphony Orchestra that will basically employ employ the same musicians and and supply its service to the same festivals and concert hall. If there's still a demand, there will still be small symphony. I, I think I think though you raise a really serious question, which is um, whether there will be a demand because for all the um, emotional attachment that people have. Um, at the moment, uh, many audiences, and you know, I, I see a lot of audience surveys um, as I try to make plans A, B, C, D, F, G for next season that say that audiences aren't, do not yet feel safe. Um, and if, if audiences mm. don't feel safe, then we don't have the demand. The margins that, you know, that orchestras work with are tiny in order to pay for a quorum of people on stage. You do need big houses. I, I mean, our, our our mutual friends, English Touring Opera, have put together a fantastically innovative season for the autumn as a set of monodramas. And I think that that's absolutely what you say about about innovation and 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 creativeness. But we also have to deal with the fact that um, many of our opera companies 
and our orchestras tour. So it's not only their own finances, but they also have to negotiate with the situation each venue that they come to. And all yes. of those, all of the venues are suffering, and also all of the venues will have very different attitudes to their ability to pro- yeah. provide a safe experience for performers and audience. The, the, yes, uh, it's, it's an ecosystem, basically. Yeah, and a management of the front of house doesn't get any cheaper because there's a small audience, and if you have to uh, implement... Um, safety measures actually your your front of house costs can increase so it, it's a very delicate and and horribly complicated one mm. Kiandra, how do you keep in practice um because that's another danger right you're you're like an athlete if you don't do your exercises if you don't flex those um vocal muscles on a daily basis you're going to get rusty. You're going if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So, um, are your neighbours just incredibly unhappy people at the moment? What's going on? <laughs> no, well, fortunately, I mean, I'm in a lovely house in Woolwich at the moment, which is owned by a conductor. So there's a, a lovely big studio and a grand piano. So the neighbours are quite used to music and hearing odd noises coming from this house, <laughs> which has has been lovely. So I've had I've had the opportunity throughout lockdown to continue practice but I must say myself and speaking with a lot of colleagues of mine it's been tough obviously number one to find the motivation with uh, the foreseeable future you know gig after gig being cancelled and postponed but um, I think more importantly which has affected me it's also hard sometimes to find the heart because uh, with losses I mean potentially um, each of us a lot of people have had um, coronavirus personally affect them through friends and family getting ill with the virus and things and seeing firsthand the horrible effects that mm. this disease has wreaked havoc on the world with. Um, so it's been it's been hard for me. I had quite a very tough personal loss. A dear friend of mine passed away very early on in March from the virus. Yes, I remember. Uh, who was my my mentor and my manager for 12 years now. So it's hard to sort of uh, continue and think, I've got to keep going. If not for me, then then for him. I mean, all of these, these um, debuts coming forward that we planned together. So, um, yeah, I must say there have been a lot of times when I've got up and practised and started doing my scales and I've burst into tears. But uh, I have persisted and kept on and fortunately enough fingers crossed um I have a debut coming in October which fortunately hasn't been cancelled yet it's in Klagenfurt in Austria so they're looking a bit more hopeful in getting in terms of getting which part Klagenfurt so Corinthia down no um, no no which part sorry which oh sorry oh. it's Alcina so oh. it's my role debut as as Alcina yeah so I'm very apprehensively looking forward to that crossing my fingers every day that it, it isn't cancelled so um that's it's also really nice to have that to work towards i i hope it happens for you um to to end on a a slightly more optimistic note um has a period of rest and planning actually been quite useful because i know from myself that as a gig worker i rarely get a chance to not worry about what you know, what am I doing next? Where am I going next? When is my next booking? And just take some time off to reflect and say, uh, is my career 
uh, going where I want it? Do I want to shift it in a different direction? What do I want to do? Have you found that that this has been a period of reflection? Let's start with Michael. Well, I, I, we've gone the other way, to be honest. We, 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 we've what, what does the future look like? Um, and let's create that. And we're going to make a really big announcement, but I'm not going to <laughs> announce it here. Oh, go on. Um, <laughs> but, but <laughs> so it sort of comes out of what will it look like to create a festival where people will want to be at that festival, regardless of all this stuff that's going on. Mm. So, you know, we are going to um, uh, increase the size of the venue and we are going to um, put in ventilation into the building and it's venting as as you're sitting there. It's being vented back out again. Um, so all those sort of measures that you could put in place where people, given the choice, will go, well, these people seem to have um, a system in place yeah. um, and we'll trust them. Because I, I think that's what we have to do next for the audience is to give them the reassurance that it will be safe. Yeah, precisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We yeah. are all going to take steps. Um, you know, we'll probably start a rehearsal period where we'll test ourselves every Monday and every Friday. Mm. That's fascinating to hear, you know, because uh, that's basically has been Greece's. Um, general game plan with regard to tourism. Exactly. The reason they locked down really hard and they're now very, you know, hot on testing people and all of that is because they know that the name of the game is for 2021 to come in and for everyone to think of Greece as a safe venue. Yeah. That's where it's all at. We all want to live in Greece and New Zealand. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, it, that, that, but, but yeah, you, there, there are things that you can do. I know we're not a government and we're not going to solve the national crisis, but you can take it at a local level and, yeah, look to the future as we do have mm-hmm. one <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and create that as best you can for, for your audience and your, your, your artists. That's, that's where we're going. How about you, Kiandra? Have you been? Have you taken this time to listen to a few things, study a few scores, maybe you know, flex in directions that you didn't think were likely before? I have. I mean, personally, aside from all of this uh, devastation, it's actually been really nice to have time off, as you said. I mean, I was trying to think the other day to a time in my sort of career history as it is so far. It's not <laughs> very <laughs> elaborate yet, but. I've never actually had so much time off without thinking about, okay, I'm jumping from the UK to Germany to Australia to the next thing. So it's been really lovely to explore repertoire that I've been putting off doing, not just working from, you know, concert to concert repertoire or next one opera to the other. And also to, um, to take the time to just you read all the books that I've been putting off to I've started learning Russian, which is something mm. I've always wanted to do, but never really had the time. Amazing. I see Tatiana. I see Tatiana. In I am hoping it's a very strategic career move as well going forward. So there's always that in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, also doing some, I mean, there's been this great system of online courses that a lot of universities have put up. So even to just start looking at topics that, have 
been of interest to kind of dip my toe in the pool of of looking at other things that might benefit my career as mm. well. It's it's been really nice to have the time to reflect. How about you, John? Have you been hitting the books and doing a Richard Bonning <laughs> discovering <laughs> lo- lost Bononcini operas, which would be much better, much better to stay lost? <laughs> Oh, Alex, I've already got that file upstairs that's uh, grown every week. Um, I, as, as you probably guessed and, and know, I don't deal with uncertainty terribly well. Um, so I did in the early stages um, do a lot of listening. I, I managed to find the time to listen to all those symphonies and operas that I would like to and mean to, but because they weren't ever necessarily coming up couldn't uh, couldn't mm. be at the top of the pile um i have to say with with uh, the future becoming ever less certain i found it harder and harder to motivate myself to do that um i retreated instead into literature and history and also going back as i said i've i've made five out of six episodes of my my little history of opera which is there on youtube that was to to do actually part of what you were saying to to remind myself of the breadth of the of the repertoire and all of those parts of it that I don't normally immerse myself in so i i was able to do that for a while i find it harder and harder the longer this goes on i am instead i think starting to look at what the future is going to look like now mm. um so i've 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 had some benefits out of it. I'm ready now, though, to get back into the fray. Okay, final quickfire question. Um, So as opera buffs, we're always dealing with tragedy. Um, What's your favourite opera death? John, (laughs) you're first. (laughs) I knew knew you'd come to me first. Well, it's kind of an easy one for me, this, because I I don't like the long, drawn-out ones. I always... (laughs) <laughs> always prefer the ones that come as a bit of a shock and i think the uh, <laughs> the opera that i've conducted more than any other um is don giovanni and that that sudden horrifying moment barely two minutes into the show when the commendatore takes a, a sword thrust to the heart is uh is just so fabulous and we we We've seen this so many times now um, that, yeah. that it's easy to forget that in 1786, you really didn't kill major characters on stage, uh, particularly yeah, not yeah. lighter ones. The, the sheer shocking audacity of that moment and the horrified silence that follows it, I think, is one of the most incredible moments in opera. Brilliant. So you're not, not a big fan of... Uh, Mimi in La Boheme, who has a bit of a cough, <laughs> four acts from the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how... You're not going to get me to say anything against La Boheme. <laughs> no, no. Okay, how about you, Michael? Pick one. I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm a sucker for um, Boheme. Yeah, I, it's just such a wonderful setup. You know what's coming. It's beautifully, dramatically put together. And then poor old uh, Rodolfo. Um, Screams out, me, me. He's and the only one that doesn't know. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. And 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 and, yeah. and 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 just listening to the music, you know, the moment she dies, and you see the people reacting to it, and then 
as you say, he seems to be the only one who doesn't know. It's fantastic. I, I weep every I every single time. I weep at yeah, that point. Agree. Uh, yeah. I, I think you'd have to be dead inside. <laughs> me, um, how about you, Kendra? Um, I mean, Boehme is one that's dear to my heart as I uh, played Mimi. So I do, I do love that. But for me, it definitely has to be um, a bit out of left field, but Dialogues of the Carmelites. Oh, At the end, amazing. the final yeah, scene, yeah. the Salve Regina, when you hear the chop of the yeah. guillotine and then you finally have Blanche, the heroine, stuck and you finally mm-hmm. hear the final chop go yeah. at the end. I mean, that is one of the most yeah. poignant and tragic. I think that is sensational, actually. Yeah. I yeah, hadn't, I hadn't thought of it. Very ancient Greek tragedy in that it happens off stage. Yes. Um, I can't believe no one men- no one mentioned Lavali, um, so I'll have to. Uh, <laughs> she thinks her lovers dumped her. It's all a big misunderstanding. So she takes off to the mountains, the Alps, and her lover runs after her. And just when he reaches her, calls out her name, causes an avalanche <laughs> that kills him. That's a great one. And she- and she thinks about it for a little bit, has a bit of an aria, and jumps into the avalanche herself because she doesn't want to live without him. So there you go. <laughs> I've missed so, that one. <laughs> speak your lover's name softly when in the Alps is the advice. Um, Amazing. Michael, Keandra, John, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners. Um, And listeners, remember, there's a new Bunker Daily every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday mornings with a longer weekly episode featuring a full panel every Wednesday morning. And if you want to support us, search Patreon, the Bunker podcast. We'll be back on Monday. This is Alex and from the Bunker saying over and out. And to play us out on this very special episode, a Bunker first, Keandra Howarth will sing... Uh, Franz Liszt's beautiful song, Au Quand Je Dors, with Sergei Rubin at the piano. Be safe. Goodbye.